Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Colonel Brandon's flannel waistcoat. So we are talking about sense and sensibility today. Mm. It's been a long time since we've gone to sense and sensibility. It's been a while since we've hung out with the Dashwood lady. So Mm -hmm. yes. So we're talking about a scene fairly early on in the novel. The Dashwood women have moved to Devonshire and have met their new neighbors, including Colonel Brandon. Marion, Eleanor, and their mother are talking about the possibility of second love, or even love at all, after the age of 27 for a woman, which... (laughs) As we all know, it's just impossible. You're a haggard old crone. It's all over. And at that point in time, talk turns to Brandon. Yes. Okay. So Eleanor and Marianne are having having this exchange, and and Eleanor starts us off. She says, It would be impossible, I know, replied Eleanor, to convince you that a woman of seven and 20 could feel for a man of 35 anything near enough to love, to make him a desirable companion to her. But I must object to your dooming Colonel Brandon and his wife to the constant confinement of a sick chamber, merely because he chanced to complain yesterday, a very cold, damp day, of a slight rheumatic feel in one of his shoulders. But he talked of flannel waistcoats, said Marianne. And with me, a flannel waistcoat is invariably connected with aches, cramps, rheumatism, and every species of ailment that can afflict the old and the feeble. Wow. Oh, Marianne. (laughs) I love how she just is like she always has like these very great declamations. She has like feelings and statements and she just puts them out there and it's just <sighs> to be young. She is emphatic about everything. And I can appreciate that. There are new, no two ways to view flannel waistcoats, according according to Marianne. <laughs> no one is going to accuse her of being wishy-washy right. or something like That's this, right. you know. She has opinions. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about what this item actually is. So the item of clothing would actually have been pronounced Westcott in England in this era. But as much as I love to channel my inner Brit, I can't. You'll have to endure <laughs> me pronouncing it waistcoat. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was looking this up in the Oxford English Dictionary and... They actually have waistcoat and waistcoat. Mm. Waistcoat listed. It sounds like biscuit. It does. Waistcoat listed <laughs> as acceptable pronunciations for Brits or Americans. Yeah. So, if you really want to get your waistcoat on, you know, <laughs> go to town. I couldn't really find much, like even in the OED, about where those pronunciations came from. Yeah, and like if how they were, if they were interchangeable. Mm. The OED does say in representations of vulgar pronunciation written waistcoat. W-E-S-K-I-T or Veskit, V-E-S-K-I-T. So unless vulgar means something different here, I'm assuming this is kind of a lowbrow spelling or pronunciation. So I don't know. If somebody out there is, if we have a listener who is an etymologist, who has an expertise in men's garments, please let us know. (laughs) Get in touch. We've got questions. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So now let's, let's talk about the object a little bit more. And I don't know about you, but when I first read about Colonel Brandon's flannel waistcoat, which is, you know, a great punchline, it gets used all the time. But when I envisioned this, like, okay, this is what what they're referring to. I always envisioned a traditional waistcoat from the Regency area, which is essentially a vest, which is worn over a man's shirt and suspenders, but under the gentleman's jacket. So these kind of waist, waistcoats would range from like the simple black or white vest to a really super ornate one with lots of embroidery. So, you know, I'm thinking of like Colin Firth as Darcy, where he has that like yellow and green striped waistcoat underneath a green coat and like it's peeking out from under the lapels. Or even better, think of the 2009 Emma when Frank Churchill is wearing two waistcoats so that he can pop those collars. Like he's got like, he's popping the collars and the colors. Like it's seriously one of my favorite foppish details about Frank in that adaptation. 
double waistcoats. Check it out. How hot would you be all the time? <laughs> you have to suffer to look that good, Diane. I mean, <laughs> commitment. That's what we're admiring here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Frank would wear two waistcoats. That tracks. So just a little kind of factoid for everyone. Mm. Waistcoats were worn by all levels of society. So this wasn't just something you would see on a Frank Churchill or mm -hmm. a Mr. Darcy. It wasn't just something that a high society or wealthy gentleman would wear. And it's one of the things that John Stiles notes in his great book, The Dress of the People, is that the differences in clothing between the most wealthy and the working classes was not necessarily in the types of clothing, but in the number of garments owned and in the types of fabrics used. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Yeah. The fabric is going to be cheaper, hardier, you know, like easier to wash and wear. Yeah. And you're not going to have an entire closet full of multiple waistcoats right. for every day of the week. Well, and so we've spent all this time talking about like this traditional kind of waistcoat. And yet that's not the article of clothing that the Dashwoods are referring to at all, actually. So according to Hillary Davidson in her book, Dress in the Age of Austin, a flannel waistcoat is actually referring specifically to a type of undergarment. In this particular context, it would have been like a warm undershirt rather than something that you would have actually seen. So Davidson writes, fluffy unbleached wool flannel was surprisingly common underneath Regency clothing. The waistcoat in the old sense of an undershirt had long or elbow length sleeves and buttoned down front. Um, so she actually even has a picture of this in her book. And we'll probably show something like that in our Instagram feed because I, I just had never seen this before. Yeah, so basically this would be like the equivalent of thermals or long underwear today. This perfect time of year for having this discussion. That's right. It's very seasonal. <laughs> Depending on what hemisphere you're in, I suppose. True. So again, this would be an inner garment. I think, again, when we hear flannel waistcoat, a lot of us are thinking that outer waistcoat. And in a modern context, you hear flannel, you immediately think like lumberjack plaid. Right. Yes. That's not this. <laughs> flannel under things really were associated with treatment for gout or to keep individuals warm. So Marion's not entirely off base here and kind of like, oh, <laughs> what an old man. <laughs> they were an immensely practical garment, though, like especially as Eleanor points out in Brandon's defense on a very cold, damp day. Right. Yeah. You got to get warm, right? I don't know if you know this, Marion, but you're in England <laughs> in a coastal area. So but there were likely some other cultural connections to flannel waistcoats that Austin is also drawing from in addition to just the gout. Right. <laughs> so. right. And I think her number one connection that she's really drawing from is that woolen clothing and underpinnings would have been really common in the military fashions of the day. In the army, it would be the most practical material to keep soldiers warm and dry and all sorts of campaigns. So this is pre-REI times, you know, they didn't have like <laughs> waterproof Patagonia That's gear. Right. So we know that many soldiers were encouraged to wear flannel waistcoats and drawers as part of their uniforms, and even Napoleon wore them. <laughs> and we know that the French were all about setting trends in fashion. <laughs> You did not know that we were going to be talking about Napoleon's underwear today, but this is where we are, okay? <laughs> Flannel waistcoats would have also been worn by sailors, um, so it's not just, you know, the, the militia. So Davidson points out that doctors advised flannel waistcoats for seamen as well as members of the militias, because even when wet, wool held warmth to the body better than any other fiber. So it's not just the land campaigns, it's on the, on the ocean as well. So if we're looking at men in Austin's fiction that would have likely owned flannel waistcoats and... <laughs> What are we here for as a podcast if not to do that? Right. The list includes, probably we're going to have a Wickham, who we know is in the militia. I mean, mm -hmm. he's trashy, but, you know, he's hot. So there's that. Right, right. In the same vein of trashy but hot, we probably have Captain Tilney. He probably owns some flannel waistcoats. Likely Fanny's brother, William Price. And listen, if he has any of those good Bertram genetics. <laughs> and the last and, you know, for me, most significant individual on the list is Captain Wentworth. 
he's our naval captain here. I'm pretty sure he had flannel waistcoats and I'm swooning, you know? So when Marianne is getting all worked up that this is an article of clothing, that this is just like an old man look, she seems to have missed the memo about men in uniform. That's my idea. That's my thought. And again, not like we're over here trying to say that Wickham and Captain Tilney are like some great heroes or anything like that. (laughs) We're just trying to say that they are both presented as sort of like men who cut a dashing figure, as it were. Exactly. The type of gentleman that Marianne, who is kind of interested in that outward appearance, would maybe swoon for a little bit. That's all. Right. So Eileen Sutherland argues in a very short piece in Persuasions from 1996 that Marion should be equating flannel, again, because of all this hot military men, Mm -hmm. with, quote, danger, endurance, and courage. And going back to Hillary Davidson, she has this great line that I just love. Colonel Brandon's flannel waistcoat represents a practical military man fighting in adverse conditions and his loyal service to the crown, not the decrepitude that Marion Dashwood carelessly infers. (laughs) Decrepitude? That line just sends me. I just... (laughs) It's so good. Oh, goodness. And it and it just it just frames Brandon as just so swoony, right? In all of his attributes, not just in the looks, but like adverse conditions and his loyal service to the crown. Love it. Love it all. Yeah. <laughs> what Marion's not actually seen is that he does actually have the dash of a Willoughby or, you know, yeah. as we've said, like a Wickham or a Tilney. All trash, but potentially hot trash. <laughs> but paired with steadfast, right. loyal. Moral attributes that are admirable. Yeah. So when we talk about this then in terms of like character and the story, like bringing this back into the text, my first question is, is this scandalous? <laughs> this seems scandalous. Like the Dashwood women are just casually discussing Colonel Brandon's underwear. I guess it's kind of like Caroline Bingley mentioning Elizabeth's petticoats, six inches mm, deep in mud to yeah, Darcy. Yeah. That's mixed company. She's right. not even related to him. Right. I don't know. It might not be as scandalous as I think, but it just, it seems like a very weird thing for the Dashwoods to be talking about his underwear. <laughs> well, one of the things that we think, that I do think is actually really interesting when we dive into this topic a little bit more, Marianne initially couches her discussion of flannel waistcoats in terms of defining someone, something essential about Brandon. She sees him as old and firm and prone to sickness. Obviously, that's not, in, not accurate. But in a weird way, the flannel waistcoat does actually help us learn a little bit more about him, Right. I think it tells us one, you know, he's practical. He Very. doesn't care if this is a sexy garment or not. He's right. Like, it's cold. It's cold. I'm going to wear it. Right. Yes. I've got old bones to take care of. OK. Well, and then and then he's also a military man. That's, you know, that's what the flannel waistcoat is telling us. Right. He's a military man. And yeah, he's the man who bested Willoughby in a freaking duel. It's really, I think, telling us that he's a smart, sensible guy who isn't going to, oh, I don't know, catch a cold from wet shoes and stockings. <laughs> Ahem. Like, well, looking at you, Mary- Marianne. So so when Marianne finally realizes this guy is a total cinnamon roll, which, by the way, Diane had to introduce me to that term, so I'm hopefully using it correctly here. Perfect. Nailed it. Excellent. So once she finally realizes he's a total cinnamon roll, I, I think it's absolutely hilarious that Austin brings up the flannel, flannel waistcoat one last time when she's like closing out the novel. So the quote is, talking about Marianne, she was born to overcome an affection formed so late in life as at 17 and with no sentiment superior to strong esteem and lively friendship, voluntarily to give her hand to another. And that other, a man who had suffered no less than herself under the event of a former attachment, whom two years before she had considered too old to be married and who still sought the constitutional safeguard of a flannel waistcoat. <laughs> uh, it's like, what a good happily ever after. <laughs> And it's so cheeky of Austin, right? It's, you know, she knows that she just nailed the flannel waistcoat reference the first time. And so she's got to bring it back in here that like, yep, she's still in love with him, even with the flannel waistcoat. And I love it. (laughs) 
And I did want to just mention amidst all the talk of, you know, Brandon as a cinnamon roll, et cetera, et cetera, which I know many people are of that opinion. But I do know there are also a lot of people that find the Mary and Brandon pairing to be not to their liking or controversial, whether it's because of the age gap, you know, especially for a modern reader, or just because a lot of people really just don't feel like they spend that much time right. together in the book and like don't find the the two of them ending up together realistic. Mm-hmm. Which I think you see, actually, that is one thing that the adaptations definitely do more of, right. like showing yeah. the two of them kind of having moments and things. In the book, he really kind of spends more time with Eleanor. Yes, <laughs> so. definitely. The dialogue, at least, is very much so just Eleanor and and Brandon. And there's quite a bit of discourse out there on what Austen intended and whether she meant for it to be a happy and romantic pairing. And the flannel waistcoat mentioned at the end is just a little joke about Marion growing up and finally realizing the appeal of Brandon despite her earlier claims of his decrepitude, or whether Austin intended it as a comedic commentary on a woman going for that practical flannel waistcoat as she gets older. And then there are scholars who argue that the pairing is most assuredly not romantic, and in fact more of a bleak commentary on a woman with few options settling and perhaps being pushed into this relationship. And of course, there are various theories and takes on all of the Austin pairings, but I do think that the Marion and Brandon pairing is one that people really like to get into, probably right up there with the Edmund and Fanny pairing. One, because Marianne is so adamantly against Brandon as a romantic partner from the start, and because there isn't that much of the two of them together on the page. And so there are a lot of gaps to fill in. So anyway, I did want to just mention all those various takes on the Brandon-Marianne relationship, because like you said, the flannel waistcoat does circle back to that. Yeah. But also for anybody who's like, Team Brandon forever, (laughs) hopefully you've got some flannel waistcoat vindication. That's right. That's right. Trying to just like do a service for all of our listeners right. here. Well, so when we think about this then in terms of like adaptations and pop culture representations, there's there's not a lot of visuals that go with this, right? So we can't remember if the actual scene in the film adaptation mentions flannel waistcoats, but we do know that there are, you know, so, so ping us if that's actually a reference. But there is a discussion of Brandon's elderly status in the 1995 adaptation where they do talk about like, you know, Marianne's like, I, I, I couldn't, he's too old. Well, I think this specific mention of the flannel waistcoat would be particularly hard to do in an adaptation because an adaptation is targeted at readers of the novel and people who are, ooh, bonnets, which there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. For such a broad audience, like if you're just mentioning flannel waistcoats, they're not necessarily going to know. Like a very niche Easter egg, right? That's not worth the screen time, probably. Exactly. It would be kind of like a hard thing to explain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like the only way to kind of include it and do it in a way that would be, like you said, like an Easter egg, but not be distracting for people who maybe don't have the context mm-hmm. from the novel, would be to sort of do it like as a visual display, like a dressing scene, like in the 2020 yeah. Emma, where we see Knightley getting dressed. There'd have to be some kind of scene with Brandon and his valet, and he's kind of like getting layered up in his flannels. Right, right. Maybe they could have him getting flanneled up before he goes and duels Willoughby. That's, yes. that's the suiting up scene we need, right? Yes. <laughs> he's like a superhero montage, like he's getting... <laughs> He's getting into his flannels. Although, again, I think like even a lot of people who have read the novel, you're still thinking flannel waistcoat. Like you're right. thinking like, oh, he's wearing a Santa vest. You know right. what I mean? But no, we've learned it's underwear. So yeah, yes. it's it'd be a very niche content right there. <laughs> he's basically wearing cozy PJs <laughs> underneath his clothes. What a teddy bear. He's just, exactly. On. He's a snuggly teddy bear dude for sure. But if any of you who are listening do recall there being like explicit mention of the flannel Mm -hmm. in any of the Sense and Sensibility adaptations, or I don't know, maybe you've read like a great retelling that does something funny with that, (laughs) please let us know because we'd love to hear We are here for flannel waistcoat content. That's what we want. Yes. Absolutely. 
Thank you all for joining us for this little deep dive into Brandon's wardrobe, Mm -hmm. his scandalous undergarments, (laughs) as Zan said. And if you did want to ping us about any of those adaptations, you can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And we always appreciate everyone sharing the podcast and hitting that five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. And we have this review to share from Prior J, who says, Entertaining and fun. Whether you are new to Austin or a tried and true fan, this podcast is perfect for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And stay tuned for next episode where we'll be talking about Christmas at Pemberley. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.